All right, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Lockdown Lowdown. I am your host, Misha Aravena. And today we have a very, very interesting topic. And we have two very, very special guests that I'm going to let uh, Andrew uh, tell us all about. So, Andrew, I'm going to throw it over to you to introduce the topic and to also introduce our exciting guests. Go ahead. Amazing. Bob. Amazing. Thank you so much, Misha. It's, uh, I, I, I love doing this every week. It's, it's, it's amazing to talk about some very um, it, it, interesting issues happening in society. And I have some lovely guests on today um, who, whom, with whom I've worked in the ad tech industry. I have Sina as well as Anais. Um, working, we've worked in market research together. Um, they are they are in the Netherlands, so we were we were all part of the global team at my at our market research company, um, working in the ad tech space, which with such players as Google, Facebook, uh, YouTube, um, etc. So we're definitely working in in ad tech, which is a very exciting space. And today I have a very exciting topic that I wanted to um, bring forth. Um, obviously, as technical professionals. Um, and, and something that we do on the show is we've talked not only about film, I mean, we do a lot of um, chats about, you know, science fiction films and whatnot, but we've talked about, you know, social movements. We've talked about social media, the power of social media, the dark side, as well as the, the light side of social media. We've talked about um, big, big tech censorship um, with the big technical companies such as Google and Facebook. We've talked about um, some of my favorite female action heroes, um, you know, such as Sigourney Weaver in the Alien franchise, an amazing uh, franchise with a very strong female action hero. You have Kate Mulgrew uh, portraying Captain Janeway in one of my favorite Star Trek series, Star Trek Voyager, very strong female hero, um, as well as Linda Hamilton portraying Sarah Connor um, the mother of um, John Connor, who's fighting as the resistance in the Terminator franchise. She, she you know, we see her transition from um, this 20 early, this woman in her early 20s who knows nothing about combat. And then as soon as she has her first encounter with the Terminator, she's this, um, you know, super soldier who's being trained up and, and a badass female hero. So we've talked about a lot of um, representation of of women in media as well as social media. So I thought it would be a perfect opportunity um, to do an episode um, directly related to feminism. So that, that's why I've invited Sina and Anais um, to speak today, not only um, as women, but just as women specifically working in the tech field. Um, so there's a lot to cover today. Um, so first of all, uh, folks, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. Yes, thanks for having us. Yeah, pleasure um, to be here. Yeah, I'm so glad you can make the time to, to join us. Um, there's quite a lot I want to talk about, um, specifically women working in tech and the pay gap. But before that, I wanted to sort of talk about um, the feminist movements that we've seen in the last 100, 120 years. Um, first of all, um, in the around the uh, turn of the 20th century, from the late 1800s into, up until 1920, um, you have women and the suffrage movement um, were, you know, fighting for the vote specifically in the US, in the United States. In 1920, um, there was a bill passed in Congress where for the first time women are considered people, which is hard to believe hundred years later, it's hard to believe that was even a thing. It's kind of ridiculous if you think about it. 
Um, so that was the first wave of, of the feminist movement um, with women getting the vote a um, hundred years ago. Uh, the second wave, obviously, so you have World War II happening, which obviously had a big, um, affected the entire world. Um, and you have, because we needed to bring order back, um, quote unquote, to society, you have women um, kind of being faced with, with the, the four walls of the jail cell of, of um, you know, being in the house and kind of being confined to housework and being happy housewives in the 1950s. Um, that was, you know, turned around in the, in, this, in the early 60s, 70s and 80s with women kind of pushing for um, more rights and the ability to kind of move out into the workforce and in, in, this, in the 60s, 70s and 80s. Um, a lot of progress happening at that time. It was a very huge time for political change, um, not only for, for women, but for black rights as well. And there was a lot of pro progressive movements happening in the, in the 60s, 70s and 80s. And then we finally hit this third wave in 1990 forward with the advent of the internet and social media, um, where, where even though, you know, I would say that even though social media can be destructive and there's a lot of negative, there's hate speech, there's extremism, there's a lot of negative views. It's also a space for, for um, progressive movements, uh, spe uh, specifically the third wave of feminism, which has really happened on social media. You have the Me Too movement happening uh, back starting in 2017, I believe, 2016, 2017. And beyond that, we've seen a lot of uh, progress on, on social media for the feminist movement. So um, I'm going to stop talking now and throw it over to my amazing uh, guest panelists. Um, so there's a lot of topics I want to cover, but I, I want to frame this with, you know, this whole discussion with the third wave of the feminist movement happening on social media. So I'll throw it over to Sina first to give me your thoughts around the third wave of feminism happening on social media today. Yes, um, thanks. Um, so while I was also in preparation for this, just doing a bit of reading on it, just because I was also not completely sure about how the different waves are different from each other, just, you know, um, consciously. I also found some arguments that there's even now um, a separation between a third and a potential fourth wave of feminism, which I find quite interesting because I do believe that not only obviously in the past year of us being all confined to our homes, but also before that, um, there was a quite a shift towards the movement being online. Like, um, of course, um, like one part of this is the Me Too movement and now that feminism or like activism in that sense is also very accessible via the internet. So I believe that social media plays a huge role nowadays and that not only this um, um, is part of um, the, the way feminism is expressed now, but also I do believe that it is, um, it is the mix of the accessibility, like that anyone um, um, has potentially a voice. Um, you can make yourself be heard by social media more easily than ever before, I believe. Um, there's also this um, the sense of intersectionality being um, more in the foreground, I believe now, because I strongly believe that feminism is not only limited to women, especially not only cis women now more than ever, it should include 
women anyway, so trans women, but also people that don't identify to any gender, because I, I think feminism highlights just um, that you don't want to be defined by any stereotypes or any box, but it's more like, you know, don't like no one should tell you who you are or how you should feel, but it's really to open up this discussion about, um, yeah, that you can, like, your identity is yours and you can really um, use the way of discussing it with people and also um, in the exchange with others to make sure you, you find yourself out there because, you know, once, like this, right, just the saying, yeah, once you can see it, you can be it. I do believe that. I believe representation of all kinds of um, gender identities or sexualities or even yeah of course it's what I said intersectionality so it's um it, it's very important to take that into consideration when we talk about feminism because um uh, a white straight woman has of course her struggles but then when it comes to okay what about um black folks or um or disabled community or mm -hmm. yes the LGBTQ mm -hmm. community that's all needs to be taken into consideration, I think now. So I think that's um, how this wave, like third or fourth, however you want to define it, is way different because it goes beyond um, more than ever. I think the borders of just um, defining it towards a certain group of women or even just uh -huh. only women. I think uh -huh. it's about um, dismantling how the patriarchy or how um, oppression has worked upon so many um, marginalized groups. No, and that's, that's a really good point that you made. And I think uh, you, you kind of touched on something that I want to talk about later in terms of the pay gap. So, and I will touch on it a little bit now. Um, some of the research I did indicates that while there is a gap for um, women and men in not only in general, but specifically in the tech sector, which we're talking about today, um, it's actually worse for women of color um, who have sort of a double whammy against them. Not only are they women, but also they're, they happen to be of color as well. So there's that double sort of um, oppression, set of oppression, I guess, I don't, I'm trying, to, I'm trying to think of the word here. There's, there's two, they're, they're weighed down even more because of two factors, basically is what I'm trying to say. Um, so it's interesting that you mentioned that and you, and you kind of differentiated between the first couple waves and then you talked about the third and then possibly the fourth wave and people coming together on social media. So I'm going to pose a question here to Anais. Uh, Anais, um, one of the things that we talked about with Misha and Alex and myself on previous episodes was that social media, even though it's a progressive tool, there's a lot of fighting for equality, not only in the feminist space, but also for people of color or gay rights, trans rights, et cetera, on, on social media. Um, it's kind of a, a double-edged sword and it's kind of, it's, it's, it can be a negative tool as well. There's a lot of extremism on social media. So how do we, knowing that how algorithms work, I mean, we work in the tech space, so we know that people who are like-minded follow each other on, on social media. So there's kind of a bias based on your, the people that you follow and the network that you have on social media. So would you say overall that social media is a good tool, tool, a bad tool somewhere in between? And how would you kind of give me what your thoughts about the, both the positive and the negative sides of uh, social media as, as it relates to this um, topic today? Can um, I just say just before um, I get delve into that, um, yeah. I want to say that uh, from my stance and from my research, I actually don't think that all these waves are defined in like this wave was from X amount of time to X amount of yeah. time. Um, I, I saw that, I think it was in the 1970s. Um, it was only places like Switzerland and Liechtenstein, Liechtenstein 
where women actually got the right to vote. And this is the 1970s. So this is what, like 50 years ago, 50 years ago. Yeah. yeah. Um, So in that way, I think it's interesting because, you know, this is still the first wave, right? And in some places, like maybe the Middle East and stuff, they still are waiting for these different waves to like come. So I think that's quite important to understand that. I think we haven't completely finished one wave and gone on to another wave. I think there's still throughout, depending on where you are, you know, in the world, I still think that these waves are still really relevant and it's important for us to, um, to, you know, look into it and understand how, you know, maybe one wave in Africa will look very different to one wave in, uh, you know, North America, especially with like technology, like you said, technology being more prevalent in the, this day and age compared to how it was in like the early 1900s. Right. No, and that's, that's a very good point. I didn't even think about the international stage and about different countries that are at different levels of progression in terms of moving forward. So, because I usually, I usually stay within my North American bubble, which is, I guess, a little bit um, I'm not having a, a worldly approach, which is definitely a flaw in my thinking. So I appreciate you kind of giving giving a wider perspective on the you know different nations being at different stages. So I guess I guess I'll reiterate now that we've covered that. I guess I'll reiterate the question that I posed about um, social media being a double edged sword and that it can be good used for good um, and progress like this, but it's also an extremist tool for there's a lot mm-hmm. of like hate groups and like neo Nazi groups and like just extreme political groups on extremely far right on social media. So it's, it's a very mixed bag in terms of, of what it's able to offer. Did you like, would you like to speak a little bit on, on sort of the, 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 the good side and the dark side of social media? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is a, a massive topic and it's actually very interesting to understand, you know, how social media can be, you know, a tool for good, but also a tool for evil and who, who is, the right person to decide whether or not that person should be censored or that person should have the, the say, you know? And in fact, I do, um, I listened to your podcast, I think a few podcasts ago about uh, you guys were talking specifically about Trump and how, um, how maybe, you know, he was being censored, not censored, but he was taken off Twitter. Um, and I thought that was very interesting. Um, but in a way it's, it's difficult because you want, you want all these small voices to have a say, but you also want to make sure that, you know, everyone is at an even playing field. So, you know, you want women to be able to talk about, you know, the unfair and the, you know, the, how, how unfair their lives are. But then on the other hand, you don't want it so that they are, you know, brought above maybe males who also mm-hmm. face the issue, the same or similar issues, mm-hmm. for example, colored mm-hmm. males mm-hmm. or, um, homosexual males you know it's 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 difficult yeah and it's and it is it is difficult because again going back to my earlier point like it really depends who you have in your network right and so I actually watched a documentary um a couple months ago that kind of talked about like the algorithms and the fact that if you have a lot of socialist left-wing people or social like sort of leaning people on your social media you're going to have more articles that are progressive you're going to have more like um, you may maybe are articles that favor communism or socialism or uh, you know higher taxes or progress you know progress for women so but then and then on on the flip side if you're more right or center leaning right or sort of far right you're going to have maybe some more extremist articles or maybe so it really depends it's it's kind of it's kind of like the 
you know, preaching to the choir, you know what I mean? And, and it, and it kind of sucks because the people who are having these discussions are already on this, on the same social networks as the people who are, who are having similar discussions, but the people whose mind you want to change are maybe not in that network. So if you're trying to change the mind of a neo-Nazi or someone who's more politically extreme to the right, it's going to be hard to reach them on social media because they're probably not in your network. So, um, I, I see what you're saying. And I also see what you're saying because it is, it's, it's, we don't want to downplay the fact like, yes, feminism is definitely one area, but then we also have to look at um, gay and trans rights. We also have to look at um, rights for people of color, indigenous rights, native rights, and all that sort of stuff. So there's a lot going on. Um, and, and so, you know, Misha, I guess I'll, I'll give it to you. Just, I wanted just to, because and Anais, you did bring up our Trump episode. So um, Misha, I, I, I'll give you a quick chance just to jump on, on the coattails of what um, and I just mentioned about, you know, social media here. Um, do you, yeah, what are your concerns about, even though social media is a great tool for progress, um, Misha, what do you think about it as being sort of, again, that double-edged sword? What, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I can agree completely. Social media can be used for the benefit of society or can be used <laughs> in a very demeaning, dangerous way. And what I mean by that, sometimes I don't think social media should be used as a political platform. But at, at points, I understand why, because it's the best way to get your points across to a wider audience. So it, it all depends really on what you're saying, how you're saying it. Like the example of Donald Trump. Okay, you are promoting hate speech. And the best example of that was, was him promoting all of these things. And then the attack on Capitol Hill happens. Okay, yeah. yes, you, you have to ban this man because this, this uh, rhetoric of hatred is promoting violence. That's when you have to stop it, right? But if you, are in, if, if you mean well and you're wording it in a way that doesn't demean anyone, then I'm all for it. But the problem with that is what someone might take as unoffensive, yeah. someone might, someone else yeah. might. So like, yeah. where do we draw the line? I could say, oh, I, I support black rights, right? I, I, I type that in, but someone might be very opposed to that. And you make that group angry and more yeah. marginalized. Yeah. So how do you make everybody happy, uh, yeah. bottom line? But yes, uh, my bottom line is it can be, if used appropriately, it's fantastic. If not, don't say it, maybe keep it to yourself. <laughs> but don't we kind of get into the issue where it's kind of the louder someone screams, the more you're likely to listen to them. Like, I feel like it's in yeah. this kind of perpetual cycle where it's just like, yeah. we'll have these groups of people that are like saying something so shocking. And then you'll, if for other people to listen to them, they need to say something equally as shocking and you kind of yeah. just keep going. Yeah, and it yeah. builds for sure. Exactly. Yeah, because, you know, and that's a good point because the digital media space that, that the, the three of us here work in, um, you know, is this extremely saturated space. I mean, 40 years ago, you had like, radio, television, magazines, and newspapers. Now there's radio, television, magazines, news, newspapers, Twitter, Pinterest, Facebook, uh, WhatsApp, whatever. And so there's this, the, the, media general, the media ecosystem, especially the digital media ecosystem has become, in, has become so saturated. There's so many voices because what's happened is it's not only, it's not anchors anymore, just anchors and just film stars. It's the average person having a voice uh, you know, that can be amplified with a tweet or with, you know, depending how many followers they have, whatever. And so I, I kind of hear what you're saying, Anais, because 
The issue is, um, I think in order to break through all the noise, you have to be, you have to say extreme things. And, and unfortunately, the people who have broken through, as we talked about on our Trump episode, are the, you know, the politically extreme people like the Proud Boys, who are essentially, um, you know, neo-Nazis. Um, you have Richard Spencer, who's a, a, oh. a, who's a, a white supremacist. And so those voices are breaking through, unfortunately. And so it becomes this battle of left versus right. Like who can scream the loudest on social media? Um, would you agree that that's sort of um, a good sort of analysis of, of where we are in this super saturated space? Oh, who me? Yeah, um, definitely. Absolutely. And it's scary to think that, um, I mean, you can you could kind of see it with the BLM movement. I mean, I, you don't see it maybe as much with, no, you still see it with feminism, the feminist movement too, with the Me Too and stuff like that. Um, I mean, it's a good thing, obviously, like you want people to tell their stories, but it, again, is it a race to see who has the, you know, the most like shocking story or, I mean, it's, yeah, it's difficult. It's, no, it's a difficult one for sure. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to move on because this is, I just wanted to like set the stage with the, the third wave of feminist, sorry, third wave of the feminist movement on social media. That's sort of what, how I wanted to address the, the topic overall. Um, but moving forward, um, I'm going to give this topic over to Sina first. Um, obviously the three of us work in ad tech together as mentioned. Um, and obviously after doing some read, um, some reading, even though worldwide there's a pay gap, um, specifically I noticed that there was, you know, it doesn't matter on the country, there's, there's internationally, there's still a pay gap um, working in the tech space. It is still a male dominated space, whether that's an IT person, a computer engineer, uh, ad tech, you know, working with big tech companies like we do on the, on the, on the marketing side, uh, it, still, it still seems to be uh, an industry that's favored towards males to succeed. So Sina, um, I'm wondering if you might be able to talk about your experiences, not only the pay gap, but just, just your, your experiences in general as a woman working in the tech sector. Yes. Um, so educational wise, I don't have a classic technical background, I guess. So I, I studied um, media science and comparative culture science, which is in a Bachelor of Arts. So I, um, after the studies, classic I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do and I heard of this online advertising industry which I haven't dealt too much before like not at all to be honest and I started um, my first job I got it by I first started as a trainee in the ad operations and um, yeah made my way up from there and so of course I came in um, into this industry without having any background and was just um, grateful that I got um, um, you know, a position there. Um, however, what my experience is in terms of my self-esteem there, it, I always felt that I, I had to prove myself a lot. Um, mm. I, I was uh, encountered um, with also a lot of mansplaining. Um, I felt oh. I felt like compared maybe my the male and like counterparts in my job. I at least it's my feeling that um, they were already assumed that potentially that you know they have they are worth the job or worth um, a certain salary. Whereas I felt, okay, especially because I was always thinking, also my education is not focused on that. I have to prove myself and I have to 
show my world prove it so that I'm heard, so that I get a voice, so that I, I can speak up in meetings. I, so yes, definitely it's a, I've been always, uh, have dealt with a mix of imposter syndrome and low self-esteem. And um, even also when, when switching jobs or things like that, where you think, um, okay, I now I've made myself maybe maybe a name or maybe have a certain reputation on my current job. How difficult would it be my next? Do I have to start again? Do I have to again like have the same fight? Like, you know, it's just um, yes. Yeah, so that's that's where I think it might be different. Um, just because um, the way also women are are raised in this world and. The, the difficult balance um, um, between speaking up for yourself um, and, you know, also negotiating, whereas, okay, I don't want to be seen as this aggressive woman or because um, women are often just um, assumed to have high social skills. So that's their, you know, strength. So you don't want to seem like, oh, you're that, you know, like quote unquote bossy, which is this negative connotation about mm. women speaking up for themselves and actually going for higher positions. So, and because they don't have a good reputation, let's be honest. Um, so it's this really difficult balance I feel that I have been encountering, yeah, in my professional life. Thank yeah, it's crazy. It's, it's these double standards. So like yeah. when a, a male um, is, is seen as like driven or ambitious, whereas, uh, you know, a female will be seen as bossy or bitchy to be fair yeah. yes exactly no thank you for sharing that scene i couldn't agree with you more and i've actually I'll, i'm the first to admit that i've actually been guilty on more than one occasion of mansplaining i feel terrible about it um it's not my intent i think sometimes i just over explain things because that's just my nature um and i like to i like to be thorough when i explain things but i can sort of understand where it would come across as being mansplaining um and i think that that's something that's um very prevalent in, in, in our industry is sort of, sort of, you know, men having to think that they have to like dumb down something or kind of over explain something to women is, is kind of silly. And it's, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's not a good practice. And I have to look at myself and correct that behavior for sure. Um, you know, I had a woman train me at our position. Um, she is, um, fantastic. She's well-educated in, in social media, in uh, tagging, in all the digital aspects of our job. And she's very good at teaching. And so um, I have to give credit to her for helping me on my journey. I was very new to the tech space. And I even as a male, as a white male had to feel that I had to prove myself maybe because I was new to the, to the tech space, having worked in broadcast, like traditional broadcast for 10 years, I was switching careers. And so I had to, I felt I had to prove myself, but I can only imagine that if I was in the same position, but as a woman, like how much more difficult that would that be for me speaking up in the boardroom, speaking up in team huddles, speaking up when there's a problem um, in the workplace, or if there's a problem to be solved, like technical problem, whatever. Um, I can't even imagine how much more difficult it must be um, as, as a woman. So I guess I'll throw it over to, and I used to speak about your experiences in the tech space as well. I have a question for you, Andrew, um, just yeah. before I start, I want to know how difficult was it for you to switch from your um, old industry to your current industry? Extremely difficult. Now, part okay. of that, part of that would be if the fact that I am in Toronto and Toronto is an extremely, extremely competitive um, area not for, for most industries, especially marketing and media, like me, 
marketing, media, advertising, I would consider that to be part of like a greater sort of bucket. And let me tell you, traditional media, broadcast, radio, all that is extremely um, competitive. As a result, the wages are very compressed and very low. Um, and while I did see some improvement in my wage moving over to market research, it's not, you know, there's still a lot of work to be done. Uh, and, and I think, and, and it's sort of a, a supply and demand thing where there's just so many people who want to work in the, in the mark, marketing technology space that they don't have to pay, um, you know, um, competitive salaries as much as they could. Um, but yeah, definitely for me, it was, I felt lucky just to be there. I felt lucky just to be accepted at the company after I had two rounds of interviews. The first time I failed, I came back, um, but it was a difficult transition. And I'm lucky that I had a strong female leader um, training me in the space um, to help me propel forward. Cause I was, I had to work very, very hard to get into the technical space. So, um, but yeah, I definitely want to hear about your experiences uh, working in the space in the Netherlands. Yeah, I mean, so my, my background is slightly different to Sina's. Um, I actually did um, a computer science master's degree um, when, you know, in the UK before I came to the Netherlands. Um, and I have to admit, I think 80% of the people in my degree were male. Um, mm -hmm. So it was very uh, competitive, um, but it was definitely worth it. And, you know, I met some really good friends, uh, both female and male. I think the biggest issue that I found was after my degree in computer science, I actually wanted to go down the software engineering uh, sector industry. Mm -hmm. And I was already in the marketing industry um, before my master's. I, I was working in the same space as I work in now. And the aim was after the master's to do the switch, but it was just so difficult. And I, I went to numerous interviews um, and I just, I kept getting rejected. So when I came to the Netherlands, I continued the marketing career, um, marketing industry, uh, just because, you know, I already had background in the, that industry. Um, so I guess in that way, I have definitely felt the difficulty uh, of being a woman maybe I don't know if it would have been the same if I was male I don't know but um I do understand how difficult it is to like uh, um progress in your career um yeah can you go into um a little bit of um detail because obviously we sent some some discussions back and forth on whatsapp before this uh podcast today and 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 there was a, i saw a lot of indices uh indicating um pay gaps in different uh countries and stuff like that can you go in, into a little bit of detail about the pay gap uh in the tech industry especially and 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 we can talk internationally as well as specifically in netherlands if if that's what if that's the direction that you want to go sure i mean i found it really interesting because um i saw that um the uk the pay gap was 18 percent which is higher than like the EU normal, which apparently the EU average, sorry, was, uh, is at 16%. Okay. Uh, and places like France, which I'm originally French, um, was at 11%, which I'm actually quite surprised about. Um, bearing in mind, I did leave France when I was 17. So I didn't really have much of a career in, the, in France. Um, I also found it really interesting that um, based on the study I sent over, um, 21 the, the pay gap in Canada was 21%. Yikes. So it's interesting to see that Europe has a bit more of a level playing field than you know in North America. Um, I don't know if it's because maybe Europe is more socialist. So 
Possibly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, sorry, what was the question? No, 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 I'm just talking in general. Again, this is just a fluid discussion. We don't have to be super focused here. I just, I was just talking about generally speaking, like the pay gap. And um, so, so I guess something that I have heard of is a, a practice that some companies have adopted that I think should be more practiced widely is uh, the, the blank resume where what you do is you look at the resume, but they cut off the name of the person. Um, and that not only, um, you know, Gets, gets rid of any conscious or subconscious bias um, against people of color, people of different backgrounds, people, uh, whatever. But it also it would eliminate the, uh, the you know, bias against women as well. Um, I, think, I think a lot of, I think subconsciously, even though a lot of managers obviously are a lot more progressive now, we're in 2021, you know, a lot of managers have become more progressive, especially in big corporations where they're basically mandated to be more progressive because of the cult, because of their culture policies. I know a lot of the big companies in the U S and Canada have like multicultural type policies. Um, and so, and so I, I guess I just want to figure out like, what's the root of this? Is it the fact that women are going to have babies? So they have to take time off. So they're going to take away from their company. Like what's, what's I, behind this? Like what's, what's the reason for this pay gap? And is it, is it conscious? Is it subconscious? Like what's the, can, can anyone shed any more light? Maybe I'll give it back to Sina. I don't know if you have any thoughts on, on that. Definitely. I actually, um, yeah, that relates to that. I had an interesting conversation um, also with an ex-colleague of mine about the, the difference in, um, in, the, in the salaries between um, males and females. And his argument was, and of course, um, that's quite radical to say, but yeah, but it's the women just, just speak up for themselves and just negotiate. They just should get this, get, yeah, be more confident. It's there. And I was like, that is a bit too easy. You know, you can't just say, yeah, yeah be more confident. A, because of course, what already um, I mentioned before is the whole like cultural aspect, like we, we, we are facing, but also it is the company's or a company's accountability to make sure that people with the same, um, yeah, I don't know, education, the same qualification should get the same salary. So there needs mm -hmm. to be steps taken. There needs to be, um, you know, a pay equity analysis go, um, happening. They mm -hmm. have to, they don't have to necessarily show everyone's salary, like show, make it complete transparent, but at least show the range, give them a mm -hmm. range of what they can achieve make or at least you know also say we are making steps towards it tangible steps it is nice you know um also i think it's very important to have a diversity um an inclusion on an equity um committee or a manager mm -hmm. but then also make it give us some steps you know give give us being employees of any company just show that you're doing an effort towards it i think that is that is all we ask for you know you don't have to um be uh, do anything radical but just show a plan and make it more transparent of what someone yeah is worth mm -hmm. and and also be honest to yourself if you're a manager or if you're a cbc or whatever like if you're comparing the salaries is this based on is this fair is this a mm -hmm. if there's a difference is it based on education qualification mm -hmm. or does it have to do anything with their gender race or whatever else um um, yes, so I think that is very important to to highlight and to always question as a company. I find sure. it quite shocking that um, so many companies try and like hide salaries from each other. Like they yeah. they have this culture of 
you shouldn't talk about your salaries to your colleagues. And I, yeah. I personally, I don't understand where this comes from. Um, it, it should be something that everyone, if they're willing to, like should share, right? Without yeah. having to feel like it's they, like a big I, secret. I think they encourage that. So because if people were to find out what so-and-so makes, then they would get confronted and it would cause tension in the workplace. That's yeah. why they always encourage that to keep their employees. And so no one speaks up and complains. Shocking. Yeah. Yes. Um, going back to what Andrew was saying about how um, uh, countries are trying to mandate policies um, where like uh, the name and the picture is hidden on a CV. Mm -hmm. I think that's really important. And I know that in the Netherlands, um, contrary to the UK, uh, they don't have that those policies here yet. I mean, you still have the person's picture. Like it is essential to have your picture on your CV or you will not be considered a lot of the time yeah. whereas in the uk both well the the name isn't hidden but this the picture you're not supposed to have your picture on your cv mm. um and i think it's actually really important that start they start bringing these kind of policies in the netherlands because you know i i see it i see for example my partner his um company recently was looking to hire someone and they decided not to go with a specific person because that person had kids. Like they said it out loud. They're like, um, uh, we don't think this person will fit in our culture because they have kids. And it's just like- Interesting. Yeah. It's just- um, yeah. That's really disappointing to hear. I think that, again, this is a generalization, so I apologize, but I think actually, you know, mothers and fathers make great workers because they're, they're, they're just, they have multitasking, like hard coded into their, um, <laughs> into their genes, right? Because their parents, I, I won't get into a discussion about multitasking because that's a whole other podcast that we could do about what actually means to multitask, but knowing that you have to manage little human beings and clothe them and feed them and take care of them and drive them and you're responsible for them. I think that would translate to a pretty good manager, no? Absolutely. I mean, that's yeah. why our manager is so good. <laughs> yes. No, we have an amazing manager who happens to be a mother of two. Um, and, and, and I think due to her empathy and due to the fact that she has emotional intelligence, but also um, technical intelligence and technical skills as well is sort of a fine balance that we look for in a manager. Um, and so, yeah, I think, I think not only women, but mothers of children make really good managers because they do have the extra emotional intelligence and those managerial skills. Um, can we talk about, you know, the, the stigma around having kids, having a family and how that may hinder a woman's progress to uh, move up the ladder in, in, in the technical workspace, in the technical space, I should say. And whoever wants to jump in, I, it doesn't matter to me. Um, I just will say on that, in terms of the, the workforce, I think what can go into that too is different cultures and people coming from different backgrounds. Um, for Andrew, for you and I, I'm proud to say being Canadian, we do come from a pretty progressive culture. I mean, we still have a long way to go in certain aspects, but one thing that I'm very pleased about my life is I have traveled quite a bit and lived in numerous countries and places, and I see uh, the, the difference. Like uh, in, in some societies, it still very much is, okay, having babies comes before having a career and everything. If you do not have babies and spawn my offspring, you are a failure in this society. You have failed at life. And I go, oh my goodness. Like, I thought that was like a 13th, 14th century mentality. Countries, 
in 2021 still have this mentality, but mm-hmm. I'm sorry to say, yes, they do. In fact, so a lot of the times in the workforce, if I don't want to name the specific countries, but if you have someone from, say, said country, that's going to affect their decisions on having kids because they'll feel I need to do this before my career. Mm-hmm. They'll have the kids mm-hmm. and then they lose said job and mm-hmm. things like that. So I think a lot of the times it comes down to different cultures where in Canada, it will be, oh, you want to have kids? Fantastic. Whatever you need to do. Oh, you don't want to have kids? Fantastic. Whatever you need. Whereas some other cultures, that's not the case. Mm-hmm. Now, Sina, I saw you kind of nodding a little bit there, like in, in agreement. Um, I, I, I'll get you to touch on sort of the the how maybe having kids can delay your career or have some add some additional road, roadblocks to your career. Uh, and something else I'll ask you to tie into that. I, I, um, I'd be curious to know, I know that you also, so this is a, kind of a two-part question. What, what do you think about um, the whole idea of, of work-life balance with women and being able to have a family and balancing that with career? But I know that you uh, recently climbed the ladder and that you've kind of moved up from where you were before. And, and how do you find your experience kind of moving up the ladder um, as, a, as a woman in uh, the ad tech space? So sort of a two-part question for you, if, if that's okay. It's actually, yes, of course. It's actually quite um, not funny, I would say, but um, the reason why I got my current job is um, also because someone else went on maternity leave for a year. And um, they made it clear that it's not supposed to, you know, be um, that um, neither that um, when she comes back, I'll go, neither that she cannot come back because I take her place. It's like they made it clear that it's just, you know, we will make place for everyone. But that's, um, it seemed quite, that's why it was quite interesting to me, at least um, to know that they are, you know, not like trying to, you know, just fill in her space, not give her any 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 room when she comes back but still um what i think um i am talking to people from different backgrounds like um i like i remember what conversations with um a woman also working in tech that she also had like this especially in tech you know in this um ever changing i guess in any like area but especially let's be honest in the in the and what we like three of us here working in the industry it's um it's, it's it changes rapidly so when you're out for a few weeks, you're already missing potentially major changes that are happening. Yeah, so I yeah. think especially here, it's so difficult to step up because you're afraid I will lose track. I won't be, you know, at least that's my, my way of thinking. I, I, I won't be necessary, like I won't be needed. I want to have the information I need to mm-hmm, keep up mm-hmm. with the, the pace of, of this industry. So I think that's adds even more um, to to question when is the right time to do when do, when can I go and when I come back will I be able to do the work I've done before just because everything changed so you have a higher pressure to come back to work fast I think um just yeah it's just because information is, is obsolete potentially that you had before what, right no and I know that there's I know we, we constantly have to stay up to date on technology and so if you're out of that for four six twelve months um obviously you have a lot of catching up to do um, not only in terms of the digital ecosystem of, you know, because the digital ecosystem is constantly changing um, with the big players like Google, Facebook, you know, their policies are constantly changing. So there's a lot of information to absorb regarding technology. But then you also have to think about your company and how they're embracing that technology. So there's a lot of knowledge gap that can happen um, in, a, in, a, in, in a given period where you may be on maternity leave. Um, the, I guess the second part to my question is, 
moving up the ladder, what challenges have you seen like trying to move your way up um, in this space? I think um, what I have seen and I um, have not done many steps up the ladder, I would say just because I've, um, yeah, I, that's, I just, that's my second job really now. But what I've faced is that I've felt um, that there is still, even when you're working in a tech company, there is still certain areas that is way harder to um, to approach this because they're still really male dominated. Um, that being said, I, I did feel like I was, um, that maybe you are a bit more pigeonholed, so to speak, or it's harder mm -hmm. to, um, I wanna say diagonal steps. So just to mm -hmm. get out of maybe like, um, like the exact position that you have just to step up and um, if you don't want to you know go after that in terms of being a manager but maybe want to explore different um fields um in the similar um yeah in the same company then i feel that it's it's harder because um yeah of the whole imposter or low self-esteem again because i felt mm -hmm. yeah especially me when i explained my my educational background i always thought no i can't do this and i should be happy that i have the job now so um because i finally made myself like useful so to speak like people are actually asking me for advice which mm -hmm. is great but now um here i am and i don't know i i, I even yeah so it, it was harder for me i think just because i i just felt like i didn't have any um you know no um, qualifications to move into a different direction mm -hmm. and yeah because if you don't want to necessarily be a manager it's it's they i think that these are even like harder steps because it is again just the whole yeah yeah low self-esteem point i believe oh, yeah, there's definitely this the self-esteem aspect and then there's just fewer when you look at the executive level unfortunately it still is a dominant male space sorry male dominated space and so i think the higher the ladder up sorry the higher up the ladder you go the more the 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 more the representation of women diminishes um, which is really unfortunate. Um, I was debating whether or not to close up the episode without doing this topic, but I really, I'm a, I really want to bring in this topic and I, we can just use it as a way to close out the episode. Um, so as mentioned, you know, on the show, we've talked about film in the past, you know, on our past episodes, we've talked about film, we've talked about cancel culture. We've talked about numerous issues, how they all sort of, um, integrate into with, with technology being sort of the key, um, theme. And so I guess I wanted to close out the episode with, with a very brief, like five to 10 minute chat about representation of women in television and film. So traditional media, um, obviously social, social media has given a voice to everyone, everyone and their brother or sister can be on social media, have a Twitter account, have a Pinterest account, have a LinkedIn account, whatever. Um, and so, so social media is the every person's media, right? Whereas, you know, film has a budget behind it. Film, ha television has advertisers and sponsorships behind it. Um, you know, ads even have, have to have maintain a certain image for a market, for a target audience, you know, working in advertising, right? Like we know that. So, um, and, I, and I'm gonna start this with some of my favorite action heroes are women. I talked about Sigourney Weaver uh, playing Lieutenant Ripley in Alien, um, a breakout role for her in the Ridley Scott film, an amazing film and she's, the, the hard, you know, lieutenant who has to make some difficult decisions. You have Princess Leia, um, the late Carrie Fisher, 
um, who's not who's anything but a princess in the Star Wars saga. Um, even though she's technically a princess, whatever she's she doesn't have she doesn't represent that right in terms of her behavior. You have um, Sarah Connor, who's 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 a hardened you know soldier, um, as well as a Starfleet captain, Captain Janeway, um, leading a starship back to the back to Earth, right? So you've had some fantastic progress um, in terms of representation of women in the media. And, uh, and another example I'll say in media, and sorry, in advertising media is um, kind of shifting from film over to ads. You know, we have the Dove campaign, which came out in 2004 um, with, with women of all body types being represented on media. It's not just the stick figure or the hourglass, like kind of, you know, small, small waist, whatever kind of women in this, in this ad, these are, these are real women who have curvy bodies and stuff like that. So I guess just closing out the episode, um, we still have a lot of work to do in the traditional space, which is more controlled. So I'll throw, I'll throw it over to Anais to talk about how do you feel about the progress we've made in traditional media, such as films, television, and advertising in terms of representing um, females? I mean, I'm not a huge film connoisseur, so I don't know if I can give too much input on this. Um, but I can tell you based on like the people I follow on YouTube, I know it's social media. Um, I do feel like there's been a, a shift towards um, women being more the influencers and being more the people that um, I won't say are leading the industry, but they are definitely there's more women in the YouTube kind of influencer and even Instagram and um, I don't know about Twitter, but even Instagram definitely the women that are like the influencers are probably taking the bigger portion of uh the money when it comes to that but um in terms of film i i don't really know <laughs> i'm sorry no that's fair and i put you on the spot so i don't expect you to have like a big theoretical answer i just maybe you can give like sort of a top level i'm like i know i know previous to the to the podcast you mentioned you don't watch a lot of tv but do you have any general thoughts on on the progress of of, of representation of, of women in the, in the traditional space or i mean if uh, i compare it to like the the olden days the james bond days yes. um i think women are seen as they have more depth in character compared yeah. to you yeah. know when it was like james bond and they were literally just there just to be something pretty to look at yeah. um i feel like um they're also having like more um taking more primary roles um but i mean and yeah there's definitely been significant like improvements in terms of uh the role that they play uh they're not all just like simple bimbos they're more complex mm -hmm. characters um but yeah that's a great answer and i and i'm sorry to have put you on the spot i know that you're not as big a tv buff as me and film buff um, as perhaps Misha and I are. So I appreciate you giving your thoughts with little to no warning there. Um, before I give it over to Sina, I just, I wanted to say, you know, Misha, you and I are Bond fans. And I think, I think that the, 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 the picture, I think the comparison we have to make is that I don't go around shooting people. I don't go around sexualizing women. I can watch a Bond film and enjoy the scenes, you know, like the cars and the spying and the espionage and the and the and the, the you know the hand-to-hand -hand combat without without actually being violent. I'm not a violent person. I'm not a misogynist. I consider myself to be progressive. Um, I'm you know I definitely don't th think of women as sexual objects. Um, and and I and I'm, I consider myself just generally to be a very progressive uh, feminist person. 
And so I, I think we need to differentiate, even though you and I are potentially Bond fans, that doesn't mean that we're, we necessarily support the, the, the represent, you know, how this franchise, which don't forget a man wrote in the sixties and seventies, right? Like the, 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 the key period of Bond was the sixties and seventies. And so, you know, even though Ian Fleming was obviously very, you know, portrayed women in a negative light in that, in the, in the sixties and seventies, um, I don't think that that reflects on me as a person. So I think Misha, um, I'll invite you to give some brief thoughts about um, the, the representation of women in traditional media. Yeah, I just have a few thoughts. Uh, in terms of TV and film, there are some shows and movies that get attacked for being very misogynistic and things like that. But I never understood why the James Bond series got attacked because it was made very clear in the books that these are supposed to be misogynistic. They are supposed to be sexist, right? So like it's laid out and clear that that is its intention. But I will say, um, you know, you hear a lot about this woke culture. They use woke culture about uh, the, this representation in television and film. Uh, and I'm all for having strong female characters and strong female leads, but the focus should be telling a great story with great riveting characters and not pushing a political agenda, unless the film is a political film, right? right? Like you, you see a lot of films like, I'm gonna make this character transgender just so no one accuses my company of being racist, right? Like you see a lot of that and it's, no, just craft a great story. And if your character happens to be a woman or a man, that's fantastic, right? But that should be the primary focus, telling a great yeah, story yeah. before pushing your, uh, political agenda. No, and I hear that. And I think sometimes we have, you know, think, think, you know, we live in this very sensitive cult, cancel culture, I hate to say it, where we feel like almost, oh, maybe I have to write in that token black character, character or that token yeah. gay character or that token trans character. And it's almost like we feel that we have to do that where I agree with you. If it's a political piece, like, yeah, for sure, political pieces should be compelling and kind of have a social message. But I don't think we should write in these characters just for the sake of writing them in. Um, well, and I think Sorry, you can finish that thought. But no, 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 go ahead, go ahead. Thank you. So I must say, although I understand that point, I kind of disagree a bit because sure, it, it should not be kind of just like, okay, we just include those characters for the sake of it. But if you don't start including them, no one will. I, am, it is, I think it is important to go to, to put, in, put in extra effort to just include all kinds of people because representation matters so much. And um, I wish um, I, when I grew up, I had series such as, so I watched a few new Netflix shows, shows such as, um, they're mainly high school shows like Trinkets and Ginny, um, Georgia and Ginny or Ginny and Georgia, I don't remember. But um, where I see people, where I see disabled people, where I see queer people, like just having, like just are in the story, but if you don't include them in the story, they won't be there. And I have not seen this when I when grown up. I have just seen certain beauty standards, certain heteronormative um, mm -hmm. forms. And so, although it might sometimes, of course, then you also need writers that can write this naturally. So it has mm -hmm, to be like mm -hmm. go hand in hand with a certain complete, um, you know, like not revolution maybe, but you know, transition towards that. So. I do believe it matters to actively include those characters and just to also make an effort to include them in the storyline without highlighting the fact that, oh, they're gay, you're making it all yeah, about yeah, the coming yeah. out. Just include them, include yeah. people of all kinds of 
backgrounds and identities and yeah. you know abilities they have to be included otherwise nothing will change but they, these no. characters need to be given like proper like descriptions and depth not just yeah. like yeah. your token you know not black like, character oh, like yes. exactly yes, correct correct and i think that's where the issue comes like these uh the token you know yeah gay person it's just like the I don't know they, they you have a stereotype in your head and they've just like put there and you can tell that yeah. they're like they're just there for like comedic relief or you know they actually need to have proper depth and I think that's what I agree with Sina here like you need proper writers to be able to actually like delve into that and and in addition to that also use actors that oh, yeah. are from that background if you tell oh, a story sure. about queer people use queer people disabled people use them there yeah. is opportunities although oh, it might be more difficult a bit more difficult no it's not there are people out there there is actors there yeah. with all kinds of abilities background sexualities use them use them let yeah. them tell the story as well um yes and i don't know like i can also recommend um the documentary Netflix Disclosure, which tells all about the the um, representation of trans people, trans women and men, and it's right. it's horrendous if you look at it. It's it's so shocking how how they use certain themes um, to represent like certain associations um, to represent trans people, where you then realize why you have a certain image because the media fed you the same kind of tropes, the same really disturbing pictures. So. That's why representation matters so much, and it has to yeah. come also from the communities themselves. No, no, I 100% agree, and I wasn't down. I wasn't trying to downplay it. I was just, I, and I think what we can agree on the common ground here is: don't write a gay person for the sake of writing them, and they have to have depth, yeah. right? So make it, it has to come naturally. Like I don't think I would write a good. I don't. I don't think I could write and direct a play about a queer woman because that wouldn't make any sense. You know what I mean? That would absolutely not make any sense. Um, I can write about being bullied because I was bullied in high school quite a bit. I didn't fit in. I had, you know, issues with social interactions in high school. I didn't fit into a particular group. So I could write about being oppressed in that sense, you know, um, or for not being a jock. Like I was never a jock. Right. So I could I could talk about, you know, how how, you know, the jocks or or whoever would pick on me for not kind of fitting into a particular sort of um, uh, sort of stereotype in, in, the, in high school because high school is a terrible time. So I could write about that, but I, I'm, I can't write about a woman's journey in the boardroom. I cannot write about a trans person's journey from, from pre-op to post-op and, and, and changing, essentially changing yeah. gender. I cannot write about that because I am not in those circumstances. So I agree with you there. And I agree that we should be putting these people in, we should be more inclusive in media. But I think the point I was trying to make is we shouldn't do it just for the sake of having those token people in, right? Like literally in South Park, there's a guy named Token and he is the black guy. <laughs> and if anyone who watches South Park, like they talk a lot of their South Park is if you watch it for the layers of what it actually has, it's actually a very progressive show because it identifies all these things. And that's why they call him token, because they're actually playing up the fact that he's the token black guy in this little mountain town that's predominantly white. Right. And so I think I think the point that we can agree on is, you know, we shouldn't be writing in these characters just for the sake of writing them in. But we should also remember to be inclusive which is why I, I, I love the um, show that was so successful on Netflix called Orange is the New Black. I don't know if anyone watched Orange is the New Black, but it's about um, you know, females who happen to be in a medium security um, prison system and just their struggles. And you see, even though it's all women, you see like the queer women, you see the, uh, the, black, the women of the, the Latinx, 
the Latino community, you see the black community and just all the, the infighting that happens around among the different groups in the prison. So it's, and it's, it's a really good show to, you know, from a multicultural perspective. Um, at the same time, I think, I think, you know, we, sh we shouldn't be writing these things just for the sake of writing them. I think, I think the, the, uh, to your point, the, there has to be someone who has that voice behind us. So the writer, I think you write from the best experiences that you have, right? So I think, again, from, I could not write from a female perspective. So if I was a showrunner, I would hire a woman of color to, to, to write about that journey. I would, yeah. I would hire, I would hire a, a woman who happens to be from the gay community to write about that experience. So I think I agree in the fact that- That needs to happen then, right? That they actually get into the rooms, they get and they get to be the rise. And I think exactly. that's the whole other issue that we haven't like talked about now, like to give those people the chance in the first place to tell the stories and not like just give it to the same people that have done it for like forever or like the same group. So there needs to be more diversity in the writer room. There needs to be- For sure. Start from there, of course, because then it won't longer be tokens, but it would actually just be a story about people that exist yeah. in society. Yeah, yeah. So no, I I couldn't agree with you more, Sina. Um, so we're running, we're almost at the hour mark. So I'm gonna wrap things up. So before Misha does his wonderful usual wrap up, um, I'm wondering if you folks, um, Sina and Anais, have some closing thoughts. And you, you can talk about anything we talked about in the episode. Any any sort of closing closing thoughts against all the topics we talked about today? And I'll go I'll go over to Anais first. Yeah, I mean, my closing thoughts is. Or are um, it, we need to find ways to reduce these massive gaps that women are like facing uh, across the tech industry, um, be it through educational programs, you know, grants. Um, basically, we need to. I don't know. There's no right way in being able to like level out the playing field, but we need to try and like take some some steps towards you know trying to make everything equal or at least to the best efforts um and that's like to do like within your your company but also you know outside uh on social media um so yeah and seeing i'll put it over to you for your closing thoughts um against again any of the topics we talked about today to close that out yes my closing thought is that representation matters in any way, may it be the media, social media, movies, but also within the company, make diversity, equity, and inclusion a mission, not only a tick box. Make an effort to include people of all backgrounds, ethnicities, genders, abilities in media or the companies and give a clear path for equity also when it comes to payment should be transparent and yes care for sure and it's and it's sad that you know even though all of us are aligned on this and a lot of my colleagues and friends are aligned on this there's a lot of people who are still not aligned to this and i think um you know the thing is it's it's everything goes hand in hand so i think for me if my closing thoughts would be in order to see progress in film you have to have more progress in real life and in order to have more progress in real life you have to have more progress in film and so i i love things like the, I'm always going to go back to these action movies and Misha's probably sick of me talking about these damn action movies, but I, you know, they're so it's, it's, it's that, you know, having these female action heroes in a, in a traditionally male role of the Superman or of the, of the, you know, I got the bazooka and I'm, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger having females 
has really propelled that movement forward. The Dove campaign has really shown that all body types are acceptable and should be accepted in media. So I think, I think everything, as I said, everything goes hand in hand and you need to have increased voices of women on social media, increased women, um, voices of women in traditional media, more women behind the news desk, more women you know, representing not only the sort of lighter pieces, but talking about financial pieces on the news. So I think we have to have an increase in visibility of women in the traditional media space, the social media space, um, and in, in, you know, obviously in the boardroom as well. And it's a long battle because we all know that progress is slow, unfortunately. Progress doesn't happen overnight. It's a long journey. And we still have, even though we've made a lot of progress in the last 120 years, women becoming persons, getting the vote, um, you know, you know, women working outside the home in the 60s and 70s, women um, in, in, in the movements on, on, on social media, there's been a lot of progress, but we still have a ways to go. It's a long journey ahead and uh, it is nowhere near done. So that wraps up our, you know, my thoughts on, on this as well. So I'll leave it to Misha to close out the episode uh, for today. All right. Well, thank you so much for our wonderful guests for joining us on this episode. Uh, as always, please support us, subscribe, uh, look at the Facebook page, make sure that you like us and we will give you more awesome content. As always, that was the Lockdown Lowdown and we will see you next time.